song is called Mindbender. It's from the album As the Dark Wave Swells. It's by the band The Bambi Molesters, and it appears on this podcast, Monster Kid Radio, with their permission. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cork. I want to welcome you to episode number 103 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And you know what? I think we're a year old. I think we're actually just a little over a year old. That might have just slipped by us without us really paying attention. We celebrated 100 episodes, but the year mark, I think we kind of hit that. And I know that because the guy that we have on the show this week appeared on the show one day short of a year ago here on Monster Kid Radio. He appeared in episodes number three and four, and now he's back for episode number, well, I didn't plan this, 103 and 104 of Monster Kid Radio. I'm talking about Monster Maker Mitchell A. Gonzalez. Mitch Gonzalez, the man behind the monsters of some of the recent films from Christopher R. Mim. You need a monster on the cheap but doesn't look cheap, you go to Mitch. And we've got Mitch here on the show to talk about one of his favorite classic monster movies. We're going to be talking about the Del Tenny classic, and I may have made air quotes there, the Del Tenny classic film, The Horror of Party Beach. I'm excited to talk about the movie, and I'm excited to talk to Mitch. It's been a long time since I've had Mitch on the show. So we're going to remind our listeners a little bit about his background when we talk about how he got into making monsters for Mim, and then we're going to talk about the horror of Party Beach, his experiences with the film, where he first saw it, what it means to him, how it influenced him, how it stuck with him ever since he saw it when he was just a little Mitch back in the day. So we're going to talk about that, but before we get to that, I want to go through the business here on the show. First of all, monsterkidradio.net is where you can find everything you need to know about this podcast. You can find links to our YouTube page, you can find links to our Flickr album, and most importantly, right now, I'm most excited about this, you can find a link to our Live 365 channel. For listeners who don't know, Live 365 is an internet streaming radio station, and Monster Kid Radio has one. Go to monsterkidradio.net, click on where it says Live 365, you'll find a link to the Monster Kid Radio Live 365 channel. Here's what you're going to hear on that channel. You're going to hear music and sounds from these classic monster movies. Now, I've gone through and I've redone the playlist. There's been some new music added, some music taken away. I couldn't have done it by myself. I want to give a big shout out to listener Steve Eckert because he has been instrumental in helping to get this thing back on track. Now, we're not done. We're going to continue to update and upgrade the playlist as we go. And eventually, we're going to have at least one theme day on the Live 365 channel. Now, when you listen to the Live 365 channel, you are going to get ads unless you pay for the VIP membership. I mean, Live 365 has to keep the lights on somehow, so they have some commercials. They're not too obtrusive, but if you wanted to go ahead and buy a VIP membership to Live 365 to avoid all those commercials, well, do it while you're listening to Monster Kid Radio's channel because we get like a penny or two off of that and it shows them that we've got listeners that want to hear the content that they make available at live 365 so check that out if you want to hear monster movie music anytime you're not listening to monster kid radio or listen to it while you're listening to monster kid radio i mean it might be distracting and hard to do but i'm not the boss of you another piece of news portland oregon area listeners the joy cinema in tigard oregon has announced that they are bringing in creature from the black lagoon in 3D, it's happening the final weekend of June. Now, I don't have exact show times, and we haven't decided what day yet, but you can be damn sure that Monster Kid Radio is going to be hosting a crash to go see Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. And what's really cool about this, at least for me personally, on a selfish note, 
I will have had a chance to meet Julie Adams and Rico Browning at Monster Bash the previous weekend. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't catch it last time, I will be at Monster Bash. Scott Morris and Tracy Morris, they've been on the show before. They're going to be at Monster Bash. I'm stoked. I've never been to Monster Bash. It's in Morris, Pennsylvania. Follow the link in the show notes to check that out if you're interested. And if you're going to be at Monster Bash, I would love to meet you. I'm typically the guy wearing the Hawaiian shirt who looks like he's having the most fun in the room, although I suspect everybody in the room at Monster Bash is having a blast based on what I've heard about it over the years. You know who's told me a lot about it? Vince Rotolo. Vince is the man behind the B-Movie cast. Vince, Mary, Nick, Juan, these guys and gal on the B-Movie cast put on a hell of a show and they are back once a year they always take a break there's a little hiatus they've got real life stuff going on but they came back last weekend and i couldn't be happier to have them back in my ear holes you can find a link to them over in the links and podcast section on our website at monsterkidradio.net or just listen to this promo that i'm going to play here in a moment now i'm going to play the promo to the b movie cast so take notes and then we're going to play a song normally we don't play a song in the middle of a show but this time around, because we've got Mitch Gonzalez on the show, and he's the Mim Monster Maker, we've got a song by the band Bad Horse. It's a single. It's called The Late Night Double Feature. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with the permission of Acoustic Fury Records. The song, well, it's about Mim's movies. It's about the movies that he's done leading up to The Late Night Double Feature. So I'm going to play that after we play the promo from the B-Movie cast, and then we're going to get to talking with Mitch Gonzalez about his background as well as the movie, The Horror of Party Beach. Let's get to that right about now, huh? Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and the time tunnel do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo do you enjoy hearing anecdotes cinematic details and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies if you answered yes to any of the above you are encouraged to join your host vince rotolo as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com.
1964's The Horror of Party Beach is one of the favorite films of author Stephen King and monster maker Mitchell A. Gonzalez, and I have one of them on the show this week. Hi, this is Stephen King. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing, Mr. King? I'm a big fan. I'm doing very well, thank you. (laughs) No, unfortunately, it's the other guy, Mitch Gonzalez. (laughs) I don't know if it's unfortunately or not. I'm a big fan of your work, so I'm grateful to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm a big fan of your work as well, so it is a pleasure to to join you on this uh, this episode. All right, I think we're good here. Thanks. (laughs) I'll take the compliment and call it good. (laughs) Very good, thank you. (laughs) I know Mitch's work through his monster-making efforts, in the films of Christopher R. Mim. Now, you've been with Mim for a few years doing some of his movies since, what, 2010? Yeah, about 2009 is when I hooked up with him on the production of Destination Outer Space. So I've been with him at, from that point onward. And you're primarily the monster maker. That's correct, yes. And you've appeared on screen a couple of times. I, I have made a few cameos in Destination Outer Space. I actually play, if there's either a, an Oculon or an Omni, I'm one of the, I'm the thicker one. And uh, also, uh, <laughs> the, the thinner one goes to, to Mike Kaiser film. And then I think in The Giant Spider, I made an appearance. actually had lines in The Giant Spider. I remember uh, you are one of the scientists in that. I'm a random scientist, yes. And so, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Now, we talked about this when we had you on the show way back in episodes three and four, over a year ago now, it seems like. How did you connect with the movie-making machine that is known as Christopher R.M.M.? He is definitely a machine. That guy, you know, just cranking out a movie a year in itself is a, is a hell of an accomplishment. But uh, I met him at a convention uh, at a Crypticon here in the Minneapolis area. And at the time, he had a couple. He had the first two movies out, The Monster Phantom Lake, and it came from a, another world. Became a fan of those two movies. Followed him for a little bit. And then at, the one, at one point, I decided, you know, hey, you know, maybe I can help. So I reached out to him, and uh, we've been uh, connected ever since. It's, so it's been a, it's been a blast. 
So you stumbled across his work from the very beginning, practically, with the first two films. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he, I think at the time he was working on Cave Woman on Mars. That was kind of the first movie I picked up after those two that I can see he was on to something here. So it, it was uh, a lot of fun. And, you know, the family loved the movies as well. So it was just a natural progression. Now, there's a new movie out, The Late Night Double Feature. Yes, yes. How were you involved in that film? On that one, I did all kinds of stuff. First and foremost, I made the creature for that and you know, built a lot of props, helped where I could you know, on set. Just a, a kind of a bouncing pad for ideas and whatnot. So um, uh, just part of the production team, I guess. There's a core uh, group of us that help Christopher, and uh, so I'm part of that group. So the movie is a double feature. It's presented as if it was a, a late-night double feature, as the title kind of implies, either like a drive-in or, or a late-night light, movie house. Uh, there are two short films in here, X, The Fiend from Beyond Space. That's the one where you did the, the monster design, the alien design? That is correct, yes. I'm looking at it here, and I've seen some color pictures of it online. Uh, wow. It's, yeah, it's a pretty was, impressive uh, design. Thank you. Thank you. That, it was a fun one. It didn't, I didn't get to go as far as I wanted to. I guess, you know, the, the old thing about having not enough time and not enough money <laughs> to do things kind of put a hamper on my original design. I, I did want to go a little further, but I was able to get the head and hands done and came up with the, the space poncho, as I call it. And uh, <laughs> my wife made the really cool silver LeMay belt that he has, uh, my wife Ann. It was fun to build. We, you know, we got it done and got it on set, and we made the movie. Is it a latex mask? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's just overhead latex mask with the uh, latex hands. You sculpted it out in clay and the whole the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah. Wow. How long does something like this take you to design and then create? Well, I'm kind of slow. <laughs> if I get going on a sculpt, I can get it done. You know, probably within a couple of weeks of starting. You know, it's not a full two weeks. I'll rough it out. You know, first I'll come up with an idea on, on paper, kind of get my, my my roadmap there. Then I'll get it get the clay going, and I'll get my basic forms roughed out. And, and, you know, this is kind of things I do after work and on weekends. So whenever I get a free moment, I'll pop down to the basement. So, you know, if I were to sit down and knock a sculpture out, maybe a couple days straight, but it's spread over a few weeks. And is this something you've been involved with or interested in for a long time? Oh, yeah. Since a young man, <laughs> you know, growing up in the Bay Area of San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, um, watching creature features and seeing all those monsters on on uh, you know the Bob Wilkins creature feature show. Oh wow! That gave me a taste, and that's where I first saw you know the, the horror of Party Beach. But you know, seeing all those monsters, I started sketching them, and then the kind of natural progression was to um, get them down in clay and try to make masks. So I've been doing it for a long time. Beach set twists to the big beat sound of the Delairs, swinging out with six rocking hits, while the cycle gangs burn up the road and strong arm their way into the party with fists flying, while teenagers prepare for a secluded slumber party. Terror strikes from the bottom of the sea, an invasion of ghoulish atomic beasts who live off human blood. Again and again, the fiendish monster struck like nothing that ever stalked this earth. (laughs) 
an entire city in the throes of panic and the mercy of demons from the dead. So you mentioned the Horror Party Beach. That's the movie we're going to talk about with you on Monster Kid Radio this week. I have to ask, though, when you first saw Christopher Mims' first film, were there? did you see immediate parallels here? Is that part of the attraction? I think in a overall view, yes. You know, he, he was working in the, the 1950s, 1960s kind of uh, style of a movie, of a B-movie. So that definitely drew me to Christopher Mims' uh, work. You know, being a fan of these B-movies f- forever, you know, for as long as I can remember, it was definitely uh, the reason why. I couldn't help but notice, I don't know if it was an intentional thing or if this is just one of the tropes of the time, the body of water, the radioactive waste being dumped into the water, creating a monster, that sort of thing. I'm like, ah, it's so perfect that we're going to have Mitchell Gonzalez on the show because this is so right up Bim's alley as well in terms of where the monster Phantom Lake came from in terms of that monster being created or born from the sludge being dumped in the Phantom Lake and that sort of thing. And it just felt very right. Exactly. You know, I've never talked to to Chris about that, if if that's where he drew the inspiration. But I think overall, just radioactivity being dumped somewhere is definitely a (laughs) a reason for a monster (laughs) in this genre. So uh, it's a natural it's a natural thing. Sure. (laughs) Up to and including the most recent Godzilla, from what I understand. So why not? (laughs) Right, right. Which I'm dying to see this weekend. Uh, We're going to do that later this afternoon. Myself and my wife. I'm excited. Yes. All right, so The Horror of Party Beach. It's a 1960s film, uh, 1964. That's correct, yeah. Okay, from director Del Tenney, who, you know, I've, I've seen some interviews with him, and he doesn't seem like this guy who'd be in this into this kind of schlocky kind of B-movie kind of thing, the way he speaks and presents himself about these serious films that he made. But he's kind of known for that. I think more of his background is the stage and stage work, mm-hmm. but uh, he has made, made many movies that I can see. He didn't direct very many at all. Uh, the Horror at Party Beach, if I am reading this right and understand correctly, was the first one he actually directed. I believe so. Or no, you know what? I think, it, well, there's that one in The Curse of the Living Corpse. Yeah, back to back, right? Yeah, they, they, they released as a double feature. And I'm, I'm not sure which one came first. We should probably look that up. But um. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Curse of the Living Corpse? I have. I, I, I watched it. Actually, um, when I revisited the Horror of Party Beach, you know, it's a twofer on the DVD I have. I, I went ahead and watched it again. Yeah, it was released as a double feature uh, on disc, which is how I have it as well. And there's a little 10-minute interview with Del Tenney, who has unfortunately passed on at this point. So if you want to learn a little bit about Del Tenney from the man himself, check out the DVD. And he talks a little bit about some of the other movies he was involved with, Violent Midnight, and how he brought some of his stage connections to the film. That's right, yes. As far as the horror of Party Peach goes, it is exactly what it sounds like it is. It's a beach movie. There's monsters involved. Two great tastes that go well together. It always works for me. (laughs) (laughs) When was the first time you saw Horror of Party Beach? Wow. It was, like I said, uh, watching this film for the first time on Creature Features in in Oakland uh, at the time where I was living there in the Bay Area. I got to say it's probably early 70s. Okay. Somewhere in there. So it's been in my life a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm assuming, I mean, just looking at your work that you do from Mim now, like the monster design from Horror Party Beach was influential or, or something that you were drawn to. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, the gateway to these were just the monsters, just these incredible looking you know, creations. You know, some guy probably built in a basement or somewhere, and um, they're just so much fun. 
and and they're tangible. They're not CGI. <laughs> <laughs> I want to put that dig in. That's all I'll do. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's a very distinct monster design too. I know a lot of people joke about how he looks like he's got a mouthful of hot dogs or whatever, but you know, I really like the aquatic monster design anyway. I mean, I'm drawn to and have a connection to creatures on the Black Lagoon, of course. So anytime you've got an aquatic monster design on land doing stuff, you've got my interest. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think what I like about this uh, design as well is, you know, they've extended the head up above the performer's head. So there's a little bit of a difference in its physiology uh, and the way, you know, they're kind of crouched over when they're walking. And so it's a little different than the usual monster, I think. They do change the human shape, which I think helps a lot. Something that you don't see in a lot of the lower budget type movies of the era anyway, I feel like. Or even now. So I do appreciate that. And you're right, they do kind of walk kind of funny. And that maybe just kind of lends to this otherworldly kind of thing that should not be. Oh, definitely. I think another important part of it is the sound design. They're, the sound they make when they're you know attacking a, a person is pretty distinct. You know, it's not the typical kind of... 50s, 60s monster movie soundtrack, there yep. is this kind of eerie kind of sound cacophony going on. Right, that echoey kind of, you know, mm-hmm. doom, 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 doom kind of sound. And uh, that was the other part of it. The, the soundtrack and the monster, which I don't know, it sounds like a seal bark maybe. But, <laughs> uh, you know, those two things, whenever that music would come up, watching it as a kid, it freaked me out. <laughs> but I could not stop watching. Oh, no, I was drawn to it. I was drawn to it. I mean, this is one that I've wanted to talk about on my podcast for years. I mean, even back when I was doing my zombie show a couple of years ago, I wanted to find a way to justify talking about this on that show because one of the alternate titles was Invasion of the Zombies. They t- call them the the sea zombies at one point. Exactly, and, and they pretty much are that. I mean, they're reanimated corpses, I guess, you know, in the beginning of the movie. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. well, there's, I don't know, some unknown companies dumping radioactive waste in the water and you know the drums are dropping down to the bottom and there's a shipwreck down there and and it's tying the fish life and whatnot to skeletons or corpses that are down there so there's definitely a, a zombie theme to it i'd say sure a very unique origin for these monsters it wasn't just ooh radioactivity they they went and they and i say they as if there's a big crew but del Tenny and like the handful of people that made this movie really Tried to create something unique here, I feel like, and I like the origin of these monsters, and I don't know, they just have this otherworldly feel, even though they're not organic of this world. I, I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense. I don't know if I've had a lot of co- enough coffee yet, but uh, I do love <laughs> these monsters. They're so cool. No, I do too. I mean, they are, they are definitely distinct. I, I think another you know, aspect of their origin I like, you know, it looks like they did some stop motion when they're reanimating it. You know, that one eye kind of moving around looks like it's stop motion animated. Yeah. You know, a lot of things going on there. And, you know, it looks like they did some model work in a, in a fish tank or something. I don't know, but it, it was just a cool <laughs> little origin. I got to say, especially the first reveal, when I think uh, Tina's the character name, she's kind of the bad girl. She goes out on the little uh, jetty, that little rock formation, and she's out there kind of moping around, and and this thing pops up over the back of it, and that's a pretty uh, pretty cool reveal. Oh yeah, you really see a good take a good look at the monster. My wallpaper on my computer at work actually is an image of (laughs) 
the monster and Tina going at it. And every uh, once in a while, I'll catch somebody walking behind me while I'm working. And I, I can tell <laughs> that they've slowed down and they're looking at my computer like, what is he got on his screen now? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, 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 know, I know the feeling. <laughs> I mean, I'm known as the monster guy at work. I've got creature stuff all over the place. So I guess I yeah. shouldn't be surprised that they're checking it out. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my nickname at work is Hollywood. A couple of guys go, hey, Hollywood, what's going on? You oh, know? really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I feel your pain. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't mind at all. <laughs> it keeps me sane. Although I don't know if the Horror Party Beach is very Hollywood. <laughs> far from it another unique aspect of this movie is that you know it's a beach movie but it takes place on the east coast yeah you know where most of the beach parties in hollywood you know obviously taking place on on the on the west coast so that's that's a distinct uh and that gives it definitely a different feel it does kind of stand out a little bit i've been watching i'll admit I've been really enjoying <laughs> the beach movies with Frankie Avalon and Annette and all that. I, I know it's not a typical thing that you'd think that I'd watch, but I really enjoy these movies. So I've been watching a lot of those, you know, this bright color, bouncy kind of very California slick kind of production. Whereas this, at least as far as the beach party scenes go, feel a little bit more realistic to me. Like that might be a little bit more how a beach party in the 60s would have gone. They aren't a whole bunch of pretty people. Right, right. No, I agree. It'd go that way except for the choreographed fight. <laughs> well, there's that. And, of course, the bands that show yeah. up and just yeah. randomly break into song. But, yeah, it was a very well-choreographed fight between Hank Green, Hank played by John Scott, who up until the beginning of the movie, I suppose, was an, an item with Tina. But that's Yeah, I know they drive, they, I guess, show up at the beach in, in the same car. So they're definitely an item. Yeah, and. They're getting older. Hank wants to be a little bit more mature. You know, he's a grown-up, and Tina just wants to play. And there seems to be some tension here. Not enough to break the relationship up, but, you know, she's going to storm away as they go to the beach to have their party. Right. Uh, Let's see. Tina was played by Marilyn Clark. Uh, You know, I'm mentioning some of the actors and actresses in here, uh, like Alice Lyon, who played Elaine, who's another kind of sort of romantic lead or interest for Hank. I don't think these people did much. (laughs) No, I, you know, I think they're predominantly probably stage actors and, you know, through Dell's connections, just did the films with him. Sure. Uh, I think that's probably why we don't see much of them. But, yeah, I've kind of looked into that and I, I couldn't really see any uh, anything else these people uh, appeared in, any other movies. I mean, John Scott's IMDb page is sparse. It just has a horror of Party Beach and then some second unit directing or assistant directing on Curse of the Living Corpse. And that's it. So. Exactly. He, if he did any acting, it would have been through stage. And I think that holds true for most of the people in this movie. And that could be part of the different feel it has, you know, as opposed yeah. to a Hollywood movie. Agreed. Oh, well, it, it definitely um, feels like a film because you can tell that Alice's lines have all been dubbed by somebody else. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Elaine was completely dubbed. I don't know why that is. It just, just was. But, I mean, these are our young adults. Our, I, I guess not quite teenagers because – one of them wants to be a grown-up now, that sort of thing. But these are our young adults having their party at the beach. And this whole beach party sequence lasts about 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah it's the whole first uh, part of the movie is just uh, is, is the beach. So It's got a very kind of laugh-in kind of feel to me in terms of how some of the jokes are delivered. Just these random little joke insets or inserts as we go along. Random characters asking other random characters questions that are just to set up for a joke and boom, punchline, moving on. Sure. 
Uh, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah, there's those little vignettes, those little little asides. Absolutely. How do you feel about bathing beauties? I don't know. I've never bathed one. You know, it's it's you know, and it's it's this weird kind of I don't see that in a Frankie Avalon film. <laughs> no, moment. They're they're definitely more direct. <laughs> uh, and speaking of direct, the very direct innuendo, I suppose, if such a thing can exist, when we've got the close-up of the woman's behind and she's dancing, and oh, the sure. camera pulls back, and the two guys, that reminds me, I need some hot dog buns. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> really? All right. <laughs> hey, it worked in the context of the film. Yeah, that's it, true. It, it's part of, the, part of the schlocky fun of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it definitely, you wouldn't see that like in a 50s movie, but it is no. definitely a uh, mid-60s film, so you start to see some of that creep in. You'll see some other elements creep in that you don't normally see in like a 50s monster movie. There's a lot of blood. Yes, there is. I was surprised. There's quite a bit of blood and quite a bit of carnage. Um, and I think when I was a kid, that was what kind of shocked me as well is, you know, you weren't used to seeing that sort of thing. And some of the, the scenes where, you know, the guy in the car, for instance, where his head falls into the open window and revealing the side that's been clawed off. And uh, it, it was pretty shocking. This man's got no face. Exactly. <laughs> the character says this. It felt very Jaws-like almost, the way the head kind of reveal happened. There's a few sure. moments in here that, again, we were talking earlier, we haven't talked to Chris about whether or not this inspired his movies. Well, we certainly haven't talked to Spielberg about whether or not this inspired any of his films. But there are some elements in here that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can see where maybe Jaws kind of came from there. Because when the monsters are swimming and they've got a very distinct soundtrack and the way the heads kind of fall. and I could, I could see where a lot of things may have taken some inspiration from these types of films. I agree with you. I'm sure uh, Spielberg watched this when he was a kid at some point. Well, if I ever get him on the show, I'll ask him. Please do. <laughs> Next time I run into him, I'll ask him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give him my email. Would you mind? And it's, yeah. <laughs> hey, we got a question for you. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I mean, just overall, this movie is just a lot of fun. It doesn't like too much either. I think it, it moves along at a pretty good pace. It does. It, uh, you know, but really bogs. There's maybe a couple points where it'll go a little long in, a, in a one spot, but usually it, it's moving along pretty good. You usually have... You know, a monster attack and then you know some something going on and another monster attack so it, they pace it up pretty well i agree i mean once the monster does attack like you said it's about the 22 25 minute mark it's on it doesn't stop and we don't deal with any of that annoying oh kids are just being kids somebody says there's a monster and they're serious about it oh yeah right the adults come in the scientists the law enforcement the newspaper there's a monster on the loose let's deal with it absolutely hell you don't see that now <laughs> in films so it was nice to see that because it does keep the pace going. It does keep this through line going through the film where it doesn't slow down or lets you really get bored. That's right. That's right. We don't spend a lot of time on the beach after the first attack. And there's a lot of we're in a lab doing some investigating. The monster's running around town, taking out out of town tourists who are kind of sort of hitting on the gas station attendant. Incidentally played by Del Tanny. He's the gas station attendant. Oh, was he really? I was going to ask you about that. If he had made a cameo, I didn't yeah, that's know. His cameo. <laughs> so, it's a pretty good one. So it's a pretty long one, but uh, that's Del Tenney flirting with those three uh, ladies who uh, spills gasoline all over himself. <laughs> yeah. All over the place. <laughs> Like, I did like that. Man, that stuff's three bucks, a, you know, four bucks a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> but to fill the car, it was only $4 in this film. I know. It just tells you how, how times have changed. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> they give me four bucks, and then the, they go away with a full tank of gas. Oh, unreal. <laughs> yeah, plus whatever he spilled. <laughs> right, exactly. 
But you've got these out-of-town tourists. It's all over the radio. It's all over the news. I love the newspapers. I'd love to have one of those prop newspapers from this film because it, it's just so monster attack city. It's just so blatant and bold. I want a newspaper that says that now. I know. Wouldn't it be something <laughs> just to, to you know get your delivery and, and look at it and monster attacks uh, wherever? So it, it'd be pretty uh, be pretty scary, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did like that. And, uh, you know, we talked a second ago about how brutal some of these attack scenes are. When the monsters show up, and there's more than one. Yes. When the monsters show up, even though they only had two full costumes, there's more than one monster. We're supposed to, I guess, assume that there's a big group of them. The way they kind of cut it together makes it look like there's more right. than just two. But there's only two full suits. But when they attack and when they show up, it's pretty relentless. And they use, like, chocolate syrup for the blood because it's a black and white film. And that shows up best. That's what they did, Night of the Living Dead. So it looks really good. Yep. I think the Bosco brand is what was the <laughs> brand of choice. But yeah, <laughs> definitely chocolate syrup. Hi, kids. Look at some delicious magic with the extra good chocolate flavored syrup, Bosco. Now watch. Take ice cream, spoon on extra rich, extra thick, extra chocolatey Bosco syrup. There's the best chocolate flavor you ever tasted. More Bosco magic. Cake, ice cream, topped with extra thick, extra chocolatey Bosco syrup. Try it. Bosco also makes milk chocolatey delicious. Tell mom to get Bosco chocolate flavored syrup for you. Sing out. I love Bosco. It's rich in chocolate tea. Chocolate flavored Bosco is mighty good for me. Mama puts it in my milk for extra energy. Bosco gives me iron and sunshine vitamin D. Oh, I love Bosco. That's the drink for me. <laughs> Lots of chocolate syrup flying all over the sun. I mean, you know, it's very bloody, and with a few exceptions, it's not overly gory. You don't see a lot of detached limbs or anything like that, at least not human limbs. Right. Uh, you do see the one guy with the face kind of missing. <laughs> but even then, it's just kind of a clumpy, oatmeal-y kind of mess, so it's not overly gory in your face. It's just low-budget monster movie stuff. Right. Looking at it now, it's just, like you said, a clumpy mess. But, man, when I was a kid, his face was gone. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and you have the one character to make that comment, so that just kind of adds to the illusion. Right. This guy's missing his face. Exactly. Exactly. But there is one detached limb. One of the monsters loses a hand. Right. He uh, comes up upon a uh, window display and freaks out and crashes through the glass and it detach- you know, rips his hand off. I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I like, like you know, actually, when they show the close-up of the kind of the wound, you see worms and things, and it was pretty uh, gruesome looking. Yeah, that that I did like. That it, they added more than just some chocolate syrup to the mix. Right, right. You see about some worms, some centipede-looking things, just this weird kind of what is that kind of vibe, and that's what the scientists use to try to figure out how to stop these monsters. That's right. And they stumble across it quite accidentally, and isn't it? Is it Eulabel's fault? That's, or, that's right, Eulabelle the maid. What is it, sodium? Some kind of sodium concoction on him? And Eulabelle, I wanted to warn listeners, if you've not seen the film, prepare for some uh, early Hollywood racial stereotypes to kind of creep in a little bit. That's right, yes. Yeah, for better or worse, it's just part of the time. Uh, and she actually brings another element to the film altogether. She starts talking about voodoo. That's right, yes. 
you know, and I don't know if that's where the zombie connection might have come in, but she's got a voodoo doll. She's talking about how these monsters are out there. You got to protect yourself, you know, using the spiritual kind of approach. And true, that was a very interesting aspect that you know, it, you know, didn't even need to be uh, used, but I think it was a nice touch, just a nice little extra element to that. Yeah, she and Elaine have an exchange at one point. Elaine finds the voodoo doll and kind of teases her a little bit about it, but I didn't find that part disrespectful. I did find some of the racial stereotypes a little tough to deal with uh, kind of the talking in the in the kind of the broken english and of course she's the servant because she's the only black person in the film and you know i did struggle a little bit with that but as far as the voodoo thing goes or, or faux do as we sometimes refer to it here on monster kid radio that didn't seem to overpower anything it was still a very scientific approach to That's how cool. we're going to stop the monsters and like you said they stumble across the solution thanks to you labelle sodium and yeah. apparently hank has to go to new york to get sodium because they don't have enough in this little small town that's correct. Yeah, he drives into New York and, I don't know, gets a bag of it or whatever it was. and Just throw a bunch of salt on it. Isn't that going to do it? I mean, come on. <laughs> why, why well, that's another aspect. They're coming out of the salt water, so I'm not I'm not sure what, what yeah. the thought was there. But yeah. uh, maybe a highly concentrated dose of this. Uh, I forget sodium. I forget the full uh, scientific uh, name of it. But, yeah. And there's that one moment that I just – if you could cut anything from the film, I probably would have cut the one scene where Hank is just so discouraged because almost everybody he's called doesn't have enough sodium for him until Eulabelle says, well, almost everybody, why don't you call everyone? Oh, you're right, Eulabelle. I'm sure glad I listened to you. Well, you know, when it comes down to it, Eulabelle's the one that really saves the day in this film. You know, you're right. Yeah, yeah I, I always think that was my takeaway with that, you know, with her character. Was she's she's uh, pretty uh, integral to, to solving the problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. She figures out the sodium connection, and she tells Hank to not give up. That's right. <laughs> Call all the numbers. <laughs> that's that's right. Now, you talked a little bit about how there's a very few points in this movie where it lagged. For me, the one moment where it lagged a little bit would probably be during the final confrontation. It just seems to keep going and going and going. No, I, I agree with you there. I, they you know pad that uh, time out a bit too long, but you know they have have the film run X amount of time, so right that's part of it. I think it was worse for me because there's no dialogue throughout right. a lot of it. So it's just this long fight scene with a lot of random things happening on screen, trying real hard to make it look like there's more than two monsters running around and that weird sound effect and the music, which I like, but it does seem to run a little bit long. No, I agree. Well, I guess one thing I like about you know, when that scene, there's a, there's a one part where, I don't know if they undercrank the film, but when they, they show the monsters kind of advancing towards the camera, when they play it back, it's got this jittery fast otherworldly yeah. look that really creeped me out and, and i think it was well done yeah i mean they walk weird they've got yeah. this weird kind of angular kind of broken body approach when they're just walking right it's not a straight line they kind of angle off and then they kind of can't back over and it's like like something was trying to control the, the skeletons and they're not quite used to it yet you know on land you're absolutely right i mean if you're born of the water gravity's going to work on you different when you're up and above. Now, when they're trying to kill somebody, they seem to have no problem moving around. But when they're just approaching and moving around and being overall menacing, there's this <laughs> fish-out-of-water look. Uh, there's this fish-out-of-water gate to them that yeah. is just creepy. Yeah, and and I would probably think that we, we can attribute it to the, you know, the performers not being able, being able to see very well in the suits. <laughs> and that's all it is. But we're going to say, you know, this, it was meant to happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'll tell you, when you get a mask on your head and you're trying to walk, it, it's it's difficult. <laughs> when you're designing a monster suit for Michael Kaiser, one of one of his films, you always make sure there's eye holes for him. Oh hell no! <laughs> <laughs> I 
we try to overload uh, them as much as we can. Yeah, no, I do. I, I tr- really try to design eye holes and air holes and do what I can to make it at least uh, somewhat bearable. <laughs> you got to take care of the guy. I don't know. I saw some of the behind the scenes uh, bloopers from X the Fiend from Beyond Space. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, that probably wasn't his fault that he kept bumping into things. That was more uh, Shervin actually hitting him in the mask. But oh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of that. <laughs> well, I can imagine. Yeah, that's okay. Now, part two of our discussion with Mitch Gonzalez, which is going to come out here in a couple of days, went somewhere that I had. I just didn't expect. It really kind of caught me off guard, and I just started giggling. I actually giggled a lot during the interview with Mitch because, well, this is just a fun movie. It makes you smile. It makes you laugh on the inside, and apparently sometimes it made me laugh on the outside. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion of the movie. Like I said, we're going to be back here in a couple of days with Mitch to hear a little bit more about his experiences with the movie, his thoughts about the movie, and some information, like I said, that came out of the blue for me. I'm excited to get to that. So we'll do that on Thursday. We're also going to go over a little bit of feedback that we've had come in from our episodes covering the giant Gila monster with Scott Morris. If you have any feedback for the show about that movie, the movie we're doing this week, or anything else we've talked about here on the show, you can call us at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Of course, you can also email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. If you liked the song we played earlier, the Late Night Double Feature, you can find it as a single MP3 release on Amazon and iTunes for 99 cents. So if you want to add that to your iPod, if you want to put that on your MP3 player, head over there, 99 cents. I mean, come on, it's 99 cents. And of course, if you're interested in any of the other music that appears here on Monster Kid Radio, make sure you click on the bands and songs section of our website. If you want to talk with any listeners from Monster Kid Radio, chat it up between episodes, you can always find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. Like the page, join the group, you won't miss anything that has to do with Monster Kid Radio. Once we have the Monster Kid Radio crash for Creature from the Black Lagoon sorted out, we're going to announce that on Facebook and have a Facebook event set up as well. So if you're a Facebook user, go ahead and hit that up. Speaking of Creature, if you're an iTunes user, remember, once we hit 50 honest reviews in the iTunes store, we're going to launch a Creature from the Black Lagoon spinoff. As of this recording, we are up to 44 reviews in the iTunes store. We've gotten two new reviews. Thank you so much to CP Steve and Mellow Monster. Really appreciate your support, your words, your honest review about Monster Kid Radio. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, if we can get up to 50 reviews in the iTunes store, Creature from the Black Lagoon spinoff show. Don't have a title, but I've got plenty of content already ready to go. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Mindbender. That belongs to the Bambi Molesters. It appears on their album As the Dark Wave Swells. You can find that over at thebambimolesters.com. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With their permission, talk to everybody in a couple of days. And I could really go for some chocolate milk. (laughs) 